Well, today uh, is, is a pretty special day because we are in the last week of our series uh, on the story of Gideon. So today is the series finale. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask just a real simple question by just a, a head nod, okay? Just a nod of your head. How many of you would say that you like a story with a happy ending? You like a story with a happy conclusion, right? The walk off into the sunset, the, the, the big win, whatever it might be, you walk out of the theater feeling inspired, feeling pumped up, right? There's nothing better than a happy ending. Unfortunately, that is not what you're gonna get today. Unfortunately, that is not how this story ends. As amazing as Gideon's life has been up to this point, as amazing uh, as the things that he's done and experienced, we don't get that walk off into the sunset. We don't get that final upbeat note. That's just not how it ends. Now, I said from the very beginning of this series in week one that I really do believe this is one of the most underrated sections of the Bible. I really do believe that. There's so much that happens in just a matter of chapters. I mean, we see so many miracles. We see these incredible, improbable victories. And honestly, there aren't many people who God has used to this extent. There aren't many people who have been involved in this many miracles. Gideon really is in pretty rarefied air. And this is all coming from a kid whose story begins with him hiding in fear in a wine press. In fact, the very first thing we know about Gideon is that he's a coward. And so in a very short period of time, it's amazing to see that he goes from being a coward to being a leader. He goes from hiding in fear to leading an army into battle. Now, now think about that. Think about the switch that must have occurred here where he was once trembling in a cave just because he was afraid the enemy might steal his food. And now he's leading an army into battle at like 400 to one odds, by the way, with their lives on the line. Just a remarkable, remarkable story of God's purpose and provision on display. And unfortunately, we just don't get that ending that we were hoping for. We don't get that happy ending. And so we pick up this week where we left off last week. Gideon and his group of 300 have just won this incredible battle against the mighty army of Midian. Just incredible, improbable, no way it happened. Sure enough, it did. And so this army is now scattered all throughout the Middle East. And finally, the war comes to an end when Gideon personally, with his own two hands, kills the kings of Midian and returns back home safely. Now, after this incredible turn of events, where they win this battle, they win their land back. This is where we pick up in Judges chapter eight, verses 22 through 27. Follow along with me here. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. My son shall not rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Now, first off, he's off to a great start, right? He, he's killing it so far. We pick back up in verse 24. Yet Gideon said to them, I, I would request this one thing of you, that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. They said, we will surely give them. So they spread out a garment and every one of them threw an earring there from his spoil. 
The weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the neck bands that were on their camels. Next, verse 27. Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there so that it became a snare to Gideon and to his household. We fast forward to verse 33. This is when it comes to an end. Then it came about as soon as Gideon was dead that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all of their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the household of Gideon in accord with all the good that he had done to Israel. We don't get that happy ending that we were hoping for. Now, that being said, this really isn't the most catastrophic of endings that we read about in the Bible, right? In fact, it's it's quite tame in comparison to some of the disastrous finishes that we see in scripture. And yet, some of the most meaningful messages that we glean from scripture actually occur in the nuances. And so it doesn't really seem like Gideon has taken this huge giant misstep here. In fact, the mistake is only like one verse long. It's kind of there and and it's gone. But the message is in the details. And so we'll get back to that in just a bit. The first thing that I wondered to myself when uh, I read the, the finale of this story, the first thing that popped up in my head is very simply what caused Gideon to do this? Why did he do what he did? After all of the good that he had done for the people of Israel, why does it have to end this way? Now, one of the most fascinating parts of scripture is the amazing fact that that throughout the course of history, amazingly, all of the different dots connect. Now, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of stories, hundreds and hundreds of people And yet through God's wisdom, they always seem to beautifully connect. And this is a great example of that because the answer to our question of why is actually answered later in the book of Proverbs. Now, I want you to pay attention to just how closely this correlates to what we just read about Gideon. So Gideon has just divided the spoils. He's taken the gold. He's made it his own. Watch what it says in Proverbs 16, verse 16. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold. And to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. Verse 18, here comes our answer. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now, because we're pretty familiar with how we think as human beings, we're pretty familiar with our human nature we kind of saw how this was gonna end, right? The the reason that we get this unhappy ending is because of pride. Slowly but surely, Gideon's pride rises to the surface and he begins to get a little bit consumed by his ego. Now, isn't it amazing? Because of our pride, because of our ego, isn't it amazing how quickly we can forget just how much God was involved in our victories? just how quickly we can forget how much he was involved. Because listen, through this entire story of Gideon, God has been the one clearly providing for him. In fact, he's been the one like pulling and pushing and and making sure every detail is there 
so that he can experience victory. And then once the victory finally comes, suddenly the perspective changes a little bit, right? Suddenly he doesn't remember it quite like it happened. And, and, and that's what happens when pride enters the picture. Didn't necessarily forget that God was involved, but maybe forgot how much he was involved. Now, have you ever had those types of, of moments where when you were in it, like when you were in the middle of the situation, you knew that it was God who was providing for you. You knew that it was him who was protecting you, who was guiding you. And then yet in retrospect, you don't necessarily have the same awe and wonder that you had in that moment. Now, you, you didn't necessarily forget that he was in it, but maybe you forgot how much he was in it. And this is your pride. This is how your ego and your self-centeredness can distort the things of God. And this is what trips Gideon up right at the end of his journey. And here's the craziest thing to me about this. This is the craziest thing about how this comes to a close. See, pride wasn't even something that Gideon really struggled with. That's not even one of his main struggles. The thing that bites him in the end is not even a prominent struggle in his life. Think about it. For much of Gideon's story that we've been walking through, he actually struggles with a lack of self-confidence, right? He doesn't believe he's good enough. He needs sign after sign after sign. In fact, the same conversation where Gideon gets caught in pride, he actually turns down the opportunity to be their king. He turns down the opportunity to be the very first king of Israel. Now think about that. Like, like if I'm in that situation, I don't know that I'm able to turn that down. That's, that's a pretty sweet offer, right? I, I know that I'm a leader. I know that God has been with me. I, I know that he's gonna continue to provide. I don't know that I'd be able to turn that down. And yet that's exactly what Gideon does. He says, I'm not gonna rule over you. My son will not rule over you. God will rule over you. Like this dude gets it, right? Pride is, is not an issue. And yet it's still the very thing that trips him up in the end. Why is that? Why is that the case? Because this is how pride works. This is how powerful a tool it can be. Make no mistake about it. This is something that is constantly pulling at us. This is something that is constantly tugging at our minds because honestly, doesn't it feel good to think about how awesome you are sometimes? Like, like doesn't it feel good to think about your victories how many times have you run through your mind the moments where you stepped up and you killed it, right? Where you stepped up and you got recognized in front of a group of people. Don't you think about that stuff? That's how it works because there's genuine pleasure that accompanies that. That's why it's such an easy trap to fall into because it's just a genuine response that we have as humans. In fact, in my studies this week, I was looking into some things around pride and I ran into this, this really cool psychiatric study that they did in 2014. This was done at the University of Zurich. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to discover the brain's response to a variety of wide-ranging emotions that we experience. In particular, they wanted to see how the brain responds to pride compared to shame or, or compared to guilt. What is that cerebral response that we have to those things? So what they did... They took 25 different volunteers, they put them in different rooms, and then they put them through a pretty rigorous test 
of personal events that they experienced and how they would respond to that. So very intimate things that they went through to see how the brain would respond. Now, what they found was a bit surprising to them. It wasn't necessarily what they were expecting because while the brain responds very strongly to shame and to guilt, and I'm sure we can all relate to that, right? What they actually found is that pride elicits stronger overall brain activity. What they particularly saw is that it elicits stronger activity in the areas of emotion processing, which is to say that the brain reacts and responds more powerfully to pride than that of shame or guilt. Now, what they said as a result is that this is why we are much more apt to remember moments of pride than we are moments of guilt. Now, initially when I read that, that surprised me a little bit. I'm not sure that personally I I would agree with that as I begin to go through my head because I'm all too aware of the power that shame and guilt have on my conscience, right? I'm all too familiar with with the weight that that carries and, and how much that impacts my decisions and my thoughts. And yet to think as strong and powerful as that is, it doesn't compare to the power and influence of my pride. This is how strong this can be. This is how much it can pull, it can tug at our minds. And in fact, it's such a compelling emotion that it single-handedly turns Gideon's story upside down. One moment of pride and it turns it upside down. Now, did you notice that the victory that opened up Gideon's belief is the same victory that opened up his pride? The same exact key that opened up his faith is the key that opened up his ego. And this is the biggest issue that pride will bring with it. And it's ultimately the title of my message today. And it is pride will destroy faith. Pride will destroy your faith. Can you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for allowing us to come into your presence to worship you. I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds right now to receive your word. Whatever distractions are going on in our head, Lord, I ask that you would knock them out, that we can focus on you right now, that we can draw closer to you right now. Whatever it is you wanna speak into our hearts, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. When pride enters the picture, this is what we do. We, we take out this big, huge magnifying glass and we put it right on ourselves. We become the focal point. We become the center to the point to where we really can't even see past ourselves. Like we get so totally consumed by our ego and what we want and what we think that as a result, what we eventually begin to do is put faith in ourselves rather than faith in God. See, one of the biggest mistakes that we can make is giving ourselves credit when God does something for us in our lives. And it's not just because we're stealing his glory, which is certainly a problem in and of itself. But the reason is because the next time an issue comes up, the next time a problem arises, we've now trained our brains to think we can handle it on our own, right? We've got faith in ourselves. We can take care of this. And what happens is it diminishes our faith. It destroys our faith that we are to put in him. Now, this idea of faith is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. It's something that's kind of consumed me lately. I I don't know exactly why, but I've been thinking a lot about it because this is something that is talked about quite a bit 
in scripture. And in fact, it's something that we throw around quite a bit in different contexts, right? And, and so sometimes I wonder, I stop and think, what exactly does that term mean? Like when you really get to the heart of it, what exactly does it mean to have faith or to live your life with faith? What does that mean? Well, this is what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, it's being confident in what you believe despite what your eyes may tell you. So it's, it's kind of the trust fall theory, right? Where you don't see the person behind you, nonetheless, you trust that they're going to catch you, right? And according to the word of God, this is how we are to live our lives. We are to live by faith in God. In fact, elsewhere in scripture, it says that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. Now that's a different way of living, right? Trusting in what you can't see, being led by, by what you can't, that's a different type of life. And this is why pride destroys your faith because pride is only trusting in what you can see. It's only trusting in what you can control and what you can manipulate. And that's the opposite of faith. That's the exact opposite of what God tells us to do. But here's where I wanted to lean into this a little bit, okay? This is where my mind has been lately with this subject. When scripture says that we are to walk by faith, if I'm being completely honest with you, if I'm being totally transparent, that seems at the surface like a very hollow directive. You know what I mean by that? It's, it seems a bit hollow, like walk by faith, okay, but how? right? And, and, and where? Where am I going? Like, I need a little bit more information because that sounds cool and it sounds really inspiring, but I really don't know what that means. And in the one mistake that Gideon makes at the end of his life, I think we get a view that he sees things very, very similar. He has faith. He exercises it on occasion, but in the end, it proves hollow. And as a result, he begins to walk by pride rather than walking by faith. So there are just two things I wanna cover quickly with you today, two main ways that we see pride destroy our faith that we need to be aware of. So let's get into this. The first thing that you need to be mindful of when it comes to this, the very first thing that Gideon shows us is that pride will obstruct your awareness. Okay, pride will obstruct your awareness. Now we've talked a little bit about this already where we take out that magnifying glass, we put it on ourselves, we limit our scope, our ego gets in the way so that really we're not interested in much of anybody else, right? And what happens here is we get a little bit frustrated when we read scriptures like walk by faith, not by sight. That that's not enough information for me to live my life by. That's too vague. I don't know what to do with that. But really, if we're being honest, if we're being real, that's not the problem. The, the problem isn't that you don't know what faith is. The problem isn't that you don't know how to live by faith. The problem is simply you're not paying attention. So you won't pay attention when God tries to talk to you. You won't pay attention when God is leading you somewhere. You won't pay attention when God tells you to stop doing something. It's not that you don't know what faith is, it's that you're not paying attention. Your pride is obstructing your awareness. See, when scripture says walk by faith, I wanna be very, very clear about this. That does not mean 
that we are to walk around aimlessly. Walk around having no idea what we're doing. That's not what it's saying at all. In fact, go read the life of Jesus. Nothing he did was aimless, nothing. But I think this is where it can confuse us a little bit. So, so living by faith is simply wandering around. We don't, we don't know what we're doing or where we're going. No, not at all. Walking by faith is full of direction. It's full of purpose. But the key is simply you have to pay attention. Now watch what it says in 2 Timothy 1, 7. It says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind. In other words, be alert, pay attention. And this is an error that Gideon makes over and over again in his life. This is a trap that he falls into time after time. If you'll remember in week one, we talked about how he didn't even know who he was talking to when he was at the wine press, right? Not paying attention. In week three, we talked about how he needs sign after sign in order to move forward. In week five, we talked about how he has to overhear a dream in order to believe. It's like Gideon, pay attention. Like it's obvious what's going on. God is trying to do something special, but you have to pay attention. In fact, you might remember this from last week, but, but God tells Gideon before the battle that pride might become an issue down the line. Watch what he says in Judges 7, 2. The people who are with you are too many for Israel would become boastful saying my own power has delivered me. In God's infinite wisdom, he gives him a heads up. Hey, this might become a problem. And yet it's the very trap that he falls into. See, you can make all the excuses that you want to. You can make all the excuses about not knowing what faith is, not knowing how to, to live by it. But the truth of the matter is you need to pay attention. You need to, to open up your eyes. Stop gazing at the mirror. Stop worrying about yourself incessantly and worry about what God wants to do. Worry about where God is leading you. You have to be alert because here's the thing. For some of you, God is trying to give you the answers. God is trying to actively assist your faith. You're not sure what to do in this situation. You're not sure where to serve. You're not sure what decision to make. And it's not a matter of faith. It's that you need to open your eyes and pay attention. Because I promise you this, if you're looking for direction, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, whatever you need, if you will trust God with it, if you will ask for his direction, for his guidance, for his wisdom, the only thing you need to do next is pay attention. Just, just be alert, be aware of what he's trying to do. He's trying to give you the answers. That's the first thing that Gideon shows us. You have to make sure your pride is not obstructing the view. Keep your eyes on God, okay? Here's the next thing that we learn from Gideon. The next thing we have to be aware of. Pride will obstruct your awareness, but it will also weaken your relationship, it will also weaken your relationship. Now, personally, I, I love this one, okay? I really do because this is, for me, where I really began to understand what it means to walk by faith. I really began to understand what that means. It, it clicked for me here. And so let's take it one last time back to Gideon. As his story begins to wrap up, we read that he takes the spoils from the victory, takes the gold, the ornaments, the robes. This is what we read in verse 27. Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Ophrah, so that it became a snare to Gideon and to his household. Now, I mentioned at the very beginning that many of the most 
powerful messages that we can take from scripture occur in the little nuances. And this is such a great example of that because the way this is written in scripture, it seems like a pretty small incident, right? It's one verse in and out, not a big deal. And yet it's the mistake that would ruin Gideon's entire legacy. And so what exactly is the real problem with what Gideon did? What exactly has occurred here to give us this unhappy ending? Well, the key word in verse 27 is the term ephod. Okay, now an ephod is simply a, a garment of clothing, different colored linens, and then you would put a gold vest over the top. That's all that it was. Not a big deal, not something that would typically pop out at you when you're reading through scripture. But here's where the problem occurs. An ephod was an article of clothing that was to be used as part of the Old Testament tabernacle. And therefore, it was to be housed in the tabernacle, and it was specifically to be worn by the high priest. Now, when you read through the books of Exodus and Leviticus, you see just how important every little detail is to the tabernacle. Bottom line, you don't want to mess with this. And so here's the issue. Gideon was not the high priest. In fact, Gideon didn't even work in the tabernacle. In fact, the reason verse 27 specifically says that he places it in his city of Aphra is because the tabernacle at this time is miles north in the city of Shiloh. And so listen, Gideon is not authorized to make an ephod. Gideon is not supposed to wear an ephod and he's certainly not supposed to place it in his own city. This is why it became a snare to him and to his family. Now, those details are good to know, certainly helps fill in some of the blanks, but how exactly does that relate to weakening a relationship? How exactly do we make that connection? And so let me explain you. When it comes to living a life by faith, when it comes to living a, a life where you're led by something that you can't see, the, the biggest resource that you have at your disposal, the single biggest resource is your relationship. See, this is why living by faith is not just wandering around because you know the one who is leading you. You have a relationship. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Why is it that I could stand up here and I could lay out this detailed, elaborate situation that was about to occur in your life, something that was about to happen, and your spouse could say with almost 100% accuracy how you would respond? With almost 100% accuracy, what you would say, what you would do, what you would think. Why? Because you have a relationship. You, you know them better than almost anybody. And so you know what they would say. You know how they would respond. And the same exact thing happens when we walk by faith. When we enter into a relationship with God, we know because of our relationship. See, when something pops up in your life that previously you'd be confused by, now you know what to do because of your relationship. You know God wants you to love others. You know he wants you to forgive. You know he wants you to prioritize him. All of a sudden, this walking by faith thing becomes a little bit more clear. And here's what I love about this idea of relationship. This is my favorite part about this idea. That means that walking by faith is something that we can do in the ordinary. It's something that we can do in the everyday grind of life. That's what it shows me because we know that God is going to provide. We know where he's going to go. 
Because let's be honest about it. Not every situation in our lives requires this huge, gigantic sign so that we know where to go, right? Not every situation has to be accompanied by the audible voice of God. Sometimes it's just a matter of relationship. And so, yeah, Gideon, sometimes God will give you a sign to let you know that you're ready for battle. Other times you need to know that he's thinking you probably shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't make that decision. This is what helps us in the everyday grind. This is what helps us keep on that straight and narrow path. We have to continue to get to know him. We have to continue to dive into a relationship with him. Now think about all of the ways that you've made a concerted effort to get to know your spouse, to get to know your friends. Think about all the different ways that you've done that. You've spent time with them. You've gotten to know their likes and their dislikes. You've even sacrificed to grow closer to them at times. And these are the things that we need to do in our relationship with God. We need to spend time with him. We need to get to know him. We need to sacrifice for him because the more that we do this, the more and more the pride will ring out of our lives and we'll be replaced with confident, sustainable faith in him. So don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let your pride weaken your relationship. Stand strong, trust in him. You know he's going to take care of you. Please stand with me. We've now been through six weeks of this series. And honestly, I've enjoyed every single bit of it. This is uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, something that we've been trying to coordinate for quite a while now because uh, it has such an impact on my life. And so I'm so happy we've been able to do this. So many things happen in this story from the time that God meets him at the wine press to the time that he makes this mistake. So many amazing things, signs, wonders, miracles, victories, so many amazing things that Gideon was a part of. And yet after everything that he had done for God and after everything that he had done for the people of Israel, he still was not immune to his pride. And it's a shame that such a great story would come to an end like this. But I think it's a lesson we need to learn I think it's something that we need to be aware of because it's something that can creep up so very quickly. Now, we've talked a lot today about this idea of faith and, and what that means and how to live by it. Listen, don't let your pride get in the way of that. Don't let your ego get in the way of drawing closer to him, getting to know him better. Don't let that happen. I want us to be a people who walk by faith, not by sight, but the only way that that can happen is if we're willing to put ourselves aside. Is if we're willing to, to put others in front of us, if we're willing to put God's needs first. And if we can just focus on that, if we can just reach for that with everything that we have, we will be the people of faith that God has called us to be. We will accomplish everything that he's purposed out for us. We will do what he's promised us but we have to stand strong in faith. Can you close your eyes and bow your heads? Sometimes, even when we read the Bible and we 
learn some sort of lesson. Sometimes it doesn't even hit us initially. Sometimes it doesn't even really make an impact. But I encourage you, I encourage you to carry this with you. Every day of your life, you need to be reminded of what pride can do, of the ways that pride can get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes focused on God. Don't let it ruin what he's trying to do. Don't let it get in the way of what he's trying to tell you. Open up your heart. Open up your mind to whatever he has for you, to whatever he's orchestrating for you.